0: If you have your Bibles handy, I would encourage you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 13 with me this evening. This is an interesting message. Um, It's an interesting passage of Scripture. The call within the time this evening is to trust the Word of God, but I'm going to get a little more specific than that. Uh, The call will be this. Don't trust the man of God, trust the Word of God. And I put the man of God in quotes, if you will. Um, don't trust the man who s- claims to represent God, trust the Word of God. Aren't you thankful that we have God's Word? Aren't you thankful that we have His actual Word? Uh, that we don't have to go through a man to to know what God's Word says? That I don't have to sit and and, and uh, ha- have another man read God's Word and then translate it to me or interpret it to me? Aren't you thankful that you can go to the source? Aren't you thankful that when somebody says something as it relates to life, as it relates to circumstance, that you can open the Bible and say, is that really true? Aren't you thankful for the privilege and the opportunity to read the Word of God and what's so amazing about the Word of God is that when you hear it, when you read it, it, it makes the most sense when you read it as a child it makes the most sense when you read it with the innocence of simply saying if God's Word says it I'm going to believe it without heaping on top of the Word of God layers and layers and layers of of, um, complication certainly we need study certainly helps to have people who are educated who are studied um, who can uh, guide God's people in in the manner of thinking but then once you have that manner in place uh, the Word of God is yours to know and to learn and to understand. I thank God for that. And with that comes a particular responsibility. I often speak with my children about the fact that with privileges come responsibilities. I tell them if you want privileges you have to show yourself responsible because my wife and I give privileges to those who show themselves responsible. If my children want to go outside and ride their bikes, if they want to go on a long bike ride with me where we're riding on the roads, they have to show themselves responsible. They have to show that they can look, uh, that they can see that cars are coming, that they can uh, be careful, uh, that they can slow down around intersections, that they'll wear their helmet properly, that they'll not be dangerous while they're on their bikes, that they'll not do things that are irresponsible. Uh, that they'll make sure that they are doing things properly because with the privilege of riding uh, where we're around roads and where we're crossing intersections, there is a measure of responsibility. You show yourself responsible, you get the privilege. But with the privilege of having God's word at hand, there's a responsibility to believe it and to trust it and to know it. And we need to remember that as well. And the man that we're going to study this evening perhaps forgot that a little bit. He lost sight of that responsibility among the privilege, uh, maybe for just a few moments, but it it had dire consequences. As we step into 1 Kings 13, we step into the time immediately after the split between uh, the northern and the southern kingdom of Israel. Rehoboam was made king in Solomon's place, Solomon having died, and the people uh, led by a man named Jeroboam. And the Lord had come to Jeroboam in the days of Rehoboam and said that that because of Solomon's sin, God would strip the kingdom from David and give it to Jeroboam. However, for David's sake, from, from, from Solomon's son, not, not, not David specifically, but the, the line of David, from Solomon's son and give it to Jeroboam. But for David's sake, he would leave Judah in the hands of the lineage of David and so Jeroboam is is going to be made this king and yet Jeroboam ends up because uh, Solomon hears about this Solomon seeks to kill Jeroboam and Jeroboam flees to Egypt until Solomon dies Solomon dies Rehoboam becomes king and then Jeroboam returns and he and the people of Israel present themselves to Rehoboam and tell Rehoboam this they say if you will lighten the load upon the people then we will serve you because your father was a harsh taskmaster. We've been studying that uh, in our Sunday school hour. Uh, that just how hard Solomon was in First Kings and First Chronicle, uh, Second Chronicles. Excuse me. Just how hard Solomon was on, on the nation, on the people. How how uh, how much he taxed them. How much he levied them. How. He took their daughters and he took their sons and he used them for his labor. He used them for his harem. Uh, He he fully took advantages of the privileges of his authority. And so they say, hey, lighten the load and we will serve you forever. Rehoboam listens to the elder counselors, those that were alive in the days of Solomon. And they say, yeah, you need to lighten the load. And then he, he listens to his peers and his peers say, you know what? Tell them, no, tell them that my little pinky will be thicker than my father's thigh in other words I'm gonna crush you to try and keep them in line so he says hey I really like what my peers have to say they think just like me well of course they do they grew up with you listen listen to the elders he didn't listen to the elders though he didn't listen to the voice of experience he didn't listen to the voice of wisdom like most young people he thought he knew better he thought he had all the answers Uh, he thought that those old people just they, they just are out of touch they just don't get it when in fact they get it a lot better than, than you might think and probably they get it a lot better than you. Because they've been there. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush them. And so he, he says exactly that. And Jeroboam says, okay, we're out of here then. And they secede from the nation of Israel. They create the northern tribes of Israel. And Rehoboam gets Judah and calls it Judah. And Benjamin uh, latches on to them as well. And that is the context Uh, the, the immediate context, but then Jeroboam does something interesting. The Bible says that Jeroboam, when he was made king, and when he established his kingdom in northern Israel, built Shechem. And he built Shechem in Mount Ephraim. And as he dwelled there, verse 26 of chapter 12 says, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. Jeroboam was concerned He was afraid that the people would be drawn back to the nation, back back to unity with the nation of Judah because of their love for God. Because they were drawn to God, they'd be drawn back to Judah. And so in order to combat this, Jeroboam drew the people away from God so that the people would not be at risk of being drawn away from him So the people would not be at risk of being drawn back to unity. He drew the people purposefully away from God. So he erected false gods, idols in Bethel and in Dan. He erected a false worship system. He promoted the lowest people among them to be the priests instead of the sons of Levi. And he created an entire false worship system in the name of Jehovah in order to keep the people away from the temple of God. The Bible says in verse 33 of chapter 12, So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel, the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Uh, This was a religion that Jeroboam had concocted out of his own head. It's the most uh, um, effective type of religion because nobody can question you because you've made it up yourself. And yet it's not effective as it relates to a relationship with God. So the nation of Israel has been drawn away from God in order to draw them away from Judah. And Jeroboam has done this thing. That lays the foundation for a man of God, an unnamed man of God, whom we find in chapter 13. The Bible says, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. So this man of God comes out of Judah. And he comes to Bethel, where there is this golden calf that Jeroboam is worshipping. Verse 2, And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burnt in, that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burned upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him, and his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him." The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored uh, him, uh, him again, and it became as it was before. What an amazing circumstance. There is this man of God, we don't know who he is, he, he has no name in Scripture. We, we have no record of him, of who he is, of his identity in any way, shape, or form. We only know that he came out of Judah. And he approaches and he boldly, he boldly stands before Jeroboam. Jeroboam, who is the king of this new nation. Jeroboam, who has the loyalty of 10 of the tribes of Israel. Jeroboam, who has an army at his back. And he accuses him and he says, you have, you, you have defiled the Lord. You have defiled his religion. He, he prophesies to the altar. He says that altar will be rent. And there's a day coming when a man named Josiah, a king in Judah, will offer your false priests on that altar, will burn their bodies on that altar. A tremendously powerful prophecy. And he says, the sign is that the altar will be rent. And Jeroboam, in a fit of rage, points and says, arrest that man, take that man, and his hand just withers, and the altar rends into it, breaks in half. And this whole thing happens exactly as the man of God said it would. Imagine the power of that moment in the name of the Lord. This man speaking in the name of the Lord. Imagine uh, the, the effectiveness, the, the, the success, the, the joy, uh, the, 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 the power of that moment. And this man stands there, the altar being rent, Jeroboam's hand being, being withered. And Jeroboam says, pray to the Lord your God, please. Ask him to restore my hand, and the man of God does it. He asks God to restore the hand of Jeroboam, and the Lord does it. The Lord regards the request of the man of God. This is Elijah stuff, right? This is Elisha stuff. This is top tier prophet stuff, <laughs> right? This is making the axe head float. Uh, this is this is um, fire coming down uh, on upon the altar. This is this is a uh, 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 prophesying no famine until until you give the word. Or no water, I mean, until you give the word. This is, that, this is that level of signs and wonders. And Jeroboam responds to this with a measure of humility, beseeching the man of God. He restores his hand. And then notice what he says in verse 7. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. I'm going to give you a gift, a gift of the prophet, uh, very similar to what we see with uh, Elijah and Elisha, and, and they'd stay at people's houses and whatnot. There, was a, they, they, there would be people who would, who would bless the prophet. Um, and that's what Jeroboam wanted to do. But notice the, the man of God's re- response. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest, So he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. So he went up a certain way from Judah to Bethel. He prophesied this prophecy. And now what the Lord said is, go prophesy this prophecy. And then when you come back, don't turn aside. Don't eat bread. Don't drink water. Don't go the same way you came. Go a different way to go home. All of this was a part of the message, the commission that the word of the Lord specifically gave to this man of God on that day. So the man of God went up to Bethel, prophesied the prophecy, saw the power of God. Jeroboam says, come back and eat with me. I'll give you something. I'll give you a reward, money, fame, whatever, honor, houses, lands, people, whatever. He says, no, it wouldn't matter if you gave me half your house. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to go back the way I came, the Lord told me not to. To this point, this man is obeying the word of the Lord, doing a great, great job here. So he went another way. Pick up now in verse 11. This is where things get weird. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel the words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. And the father said unto him, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his son, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass and rode thereon. So there's this man, and he is said to be an old prophet. So he was a man who was a prophet. We don't exactly know what that means, right? There were, uh, since the days of Samuel, there was the school of the prophets, right? So, um, remember in the days of Saul, when when Samuel anointed Saul, and then Saul began to prophesy, and the people asked, Is Saul among the prophets? And there were other prophets there, and those prophets were not necessarily Elijah, Elisha type prophets. Uh, it was a school. It was a school that that taught you how to prophesy, right? And so this was not the the same thing as the commissioning idea of God raising up a man of God to speak, thus saith the Lord, but rather those who would be taught how to effectively preach and to sing. It was basically like a like a preacher's school. In a sense. In a sense. And so there was this old prophet. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about his relationship to God, but what we do know about this prophet is this. This man lived in Bethel. This man lived in the city where Jeroboam was doing these abominations. And we have no record of that man standing up against Jeroboam. We have no record of that man raising his voice and saying, Don't do this. We have certainly no record of God commissioning this old prophet who was a native to Bethel to, to contend for his own city. God had to import a prophet from Judah in order to make that happen, right? And so we have a unique circumstance here where, more or less, this man, uh, though he is, he is an old prophet, uh, he, he knows what to say, he's got the right words, he's got the right lingo, he's got the right culture, he understands where this, where this, this man of God is coming from but, but he, he doesn't stand out. He hasn't done anything for the Lord. We have no record of it, and the Lord certainly has not chosen to use him, nor has he chosen to stand against the apostasy happening in his own city and in his own country. And he, he hears about this man, and he hears everything that he said, presumably also this, this statement that, that the man of God made to Jeroboam that he would not eat or drink or, or turn uh, or, and go the way he came. And he says, Saddle me my ass. And he, he, he rides and he, he chases down the prophet, the man of God. Verse 14, And went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak tree. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place, for it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. So the, prophet is, uh, the man of God is standing strong here. The man of God says no. God said don't eat, don't drink, don't come the way you came. I'm not going to do that. He's sitting under an oak tree. He's, he's resting. Maybe he's contemplating uh, the wonderful blessing that it was to be used by God in the way that God chose to use him. But notice how this old prophet responds. Verse 18. He said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. I don't know why he, why, why, why did the prophet do this, the old prophet? Why did the old prophet lie to him? Why did the old prophet compel him to do this thing? I don't know. It's quite clear by this point that the old prophet is not like the man of God. It's quite clear at this point why God chose not to use the old prophet. This man didn't stand up for a reason. This man didn't speak out for a reason. God didn't use him for a reason. This man has an issue. This man is a man, as I said, who understands the culture of a man of God. This man is a man who knows the language of a man of God. This man is a man who has been taught in that culture and in that language, but he doesn't know God. He's not being used of God. He doesn't understand God's word. He doesn't have a regard for God's word. He hears this this man of God say the Lord has told me this and the prophet se- the old prophet seems to, to not even understand and this is something that we see quite regularly especially in the prophets of northern Israel throughout their their short-lived kingdom is that these 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 false prophets thought that all it took to have God speaking to them was to, to have to well up in them something and to understand a little bit about what the person who's asking a prophecy actually wants to see come about and then to name it and claim it, right? To bring about the will of the, the, the questioner, especially the king, uh, in a way that sounded really spiritual. And this is a mark of a false prophet. They don't know what they don't know. The false prophet literally thinks that all the, 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 the leading of the spirit is, is feelings. The false prophet literally thinks that, that a regard for the word of God is just religiosity. The, 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 the person who is outside looking in as it relates to a relationship with God, not even the false prophet, the unbeliever, sees the things that we do and, and translates it through the eyes of the material. So they see how important church is to us, that we really want to get back to church, and we're really sick of this live stream thing because church is extremely important to us, because the fellowship among the brethren, singing congregationally, uh, um, mutual accountability, mutual support, This is not just a social club thing, this is God's command and there is a spiritual benefit, there is a spiritual reality, there is a spiritual vibrancy, there is a a potency that comes to the people of God as we exercise ourselves in the assembling together one of another unto worship and unto doctrine and unto, unto fellowship. But the unbeliever doesn't understand it, so he says, yeah, churches aren't important, they don't need to open for a year or two because it's just a social club. They don't get it. When when I'm, I'm feverishly devoted to the Word of God, and I say, no, I'm not going to do that. Watch that. Go there. Say that. Because God's Word says not to. Because I love God. They say, well, what is... Okay, so you love your religious system. I get it. I have traditions too. No, it's not traditions. It's not a system. It's not a religion. It is a thriving, personal relationship with a true and living God who loves me and who I love because He first loved me. And I will not disappoint Him. And I will not fail him because I love him because of what he's done for me. But they can't understand that. They see it only through the material. This old prophet only understood through the material. He only understood through, through his carnality because he had no actual connection to God. And so he lies to the man and he says, An angel appeared to me, man of God, and invalidated what you heard. And said, no, 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 invite him back and invite him to eat. And the man of God here makes a a, a crucial mistake. He elevated the word of the prophet, the word of the self-proclaimed prophet, above the word of God itself. He took what he knew from the word of God, and he, he placed it lower than what this prophet said was extra revelation that he'd been given. There was new revelation that contradicted and counteracted the old revelation. And he, he was deceived into thinking that that actually happens, that God is going to contradict himself, that God is going to change his mind in this regard. And in this, he was gravely mistaken. See, God's word does not change. God does not change. Now, God adapts, if we could call it that. When mankind repents, God will, will, will divert judgment. When, when mankind prays, God will respond to that prayer. But that is all 100% consistent and in line with God's spoken word, with God's with God's character, with God's plan, with God's will, with God's design. But God's not going to go outside of that. If God gave an explicit command to the man of God, saying, don't do these things, God is not going to contradict himself. God is not going to uh, speak through someone else to come to you and override what God himself has told you. That's not how God works. And yet, that's what happened here, and the man of God was, was duped. Verse 20, And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, forasmuch as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. Wow, very strange. Now the word of the Lord actually comes to the The, the prophet comes to this carnal lying man and the Lord speaks through this man and this man prophesies the death of the man of God because the man of God listened to the voice of the prophet who lied to him and now the Lord is using the voice of that same lying prophet to prophesy the death of the man of God. Wow. Verse 23, And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him, and his carcass was cast in the way. And the ass stood by it, the lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God whom was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. And he spake to his son, saying, Saddle me the ass, and they saddled him. And he went and found his carcass cast in the way. And the ass and the lion standing by the carcass, the lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God, and laid it upon the ass, and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid his carcass in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother! And it came to pass, after he had buried him, that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulchre, wherein the uh, the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. So this old prophet now mourns The man is killed. There's a lion standing next to him and an ass standing next to him. The lion kind of protecting the body, as it were. The old prophet saddles the ass. He goes. He sees this. He recognizes this is the man of God. He goes there. The lion doesn't tear up the ass. The lion doesn't tear up the man. The lion is just standing there, guarding it, as it were. Uh, The man picks up the body, puts it on the ass, takes him back, buries him in a sepulchre, and then asks his sons to bury him in the same place, testifying that the words of that man of God against Bethel and against the altar will surely come to pass. I don't know all of what to make of this. Uh, one may say, in contradiction to what I've already told you, and it's possible, that this man, of, that this old prophet was testing him. That this old prophet had been commissioned to lie in order to see if the man of God uh, would pass this test and would, no, would would do as the Lord had spoken unto him. I don't know. That's, that's perhaps possible. That's not how I've interpreted the passage this evening. I've interpreted it that this old prophet is carnal. This old prophet. I mean, you say, but Pastor, the Lord spoke through his lips. The Lord also spoke through Balaam's donkey, didn't He? The Lord also opened up the mouth of Balaam's donkey. The Lord does not need uh, you. Don't have to be a, a godly person for the Lord to use you or speak through you. I don't exactly know what's going on here. But this man mourned, and this man recognized that he was that that the man of God was indeed a prophet of God, and that what he said. Would surely come to pass. What we find here is that the consequences of this man of God ignoring, uh, disregarding the word of God were very great. The consequences of the man of God uh, trusting the word of a man above the word of God, even the word of a man who claimed to speak in the name of God, but was not in alignment or consistency with what he knew of God's word already, and for this, this man suffered the consequence of, of of dying. Perhaps this man's name might have been written down had he become more consequential, had he had, he had more years to live and, and to minister. But he was cut down and he was cut down early and he was cut down quickly because he refused to regard the name of the Word of God. Why did God do this? For the same reason that God allowed the child between David and Bathsheba to die. For the same reason that Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land after 40 years of faithfully leading the people, it's because when you are a representative of God, when you are in a place where God has truly called you and you have truly represented his name, there's a higher accountability upon you. And the consequences of you uh, of you sinning in such a way as to, um, as to soil the name of God, as to harm the name of God, as to harm the testimony of God is great. God could not let the baby of David and Bathsheba, that first one, live because David was a divine representative of God. He was in, He was the Lord's anointed, as we talked about on, on Tuesday night. He was a divine representative of God, and because he was a divine representative of God, there was an accountability upon his actions whereby God could not could simply not let that, that sin go un, undealt with. God simply could not let Moses' sin and striking the rock a second time go undealt with because it Uh, Moses was a theocratic representative of God. What he did was representative of God. And so when he misrepresented God, when he defiled the name of God, when he scorned the name of God, when he muddied the waters of the doctrine that God was preaching, he had to die in order for God to show his disapproval, in order for God to show just how serious what Moses did was and how though Moses was a man who was called to represent God, Moses failed there and that the people needed to know it. So Moses could not enter into the land except to see it from Mount Pisgah before being being, uh, taken away. This is the same thing that happened here. Had this man directly disobeyed the word of God and then been allowed to go home the, the, the authority of God in that land would have been marred all the more. The testimony of God in the land would have been marred all the more. This man had to die. But he didn't have to die. He had to die because he he took on the mantle of representing the word of the Lord directly and then he failed to do it properly and there are consequences for that and this is a tragic account but it teaches us a wonderful lesson you know it was not difficult for the man of God to refuse to stop and eat and go back the way he came when it was Jeroboam who had invited him, when it was this ungodly man who had invited him, when it was this man who clearly had no regard for God, though he had humbled himself in that moment, he can stand up to that man. But then someone comes, and this man claims to represent truth, and this man knows the lingo, and this man is, is, is he he connects with you, and he asks you to trust him over the Word of God. He asks you to go his way rather than God's way, and he he claims that he has the inside track on what God wants. He says, yeah, 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 the Bible says that, but that's not what it means. This is what God means. And you wouldn't know that except that you know me. So it's a good thing you know me so that you can know what the Bible says and, and, and what God really wants. Just you, you, don't have to, you don't have to look at that passage. That passage is just archaic. It doesn't matter. We'll just stick to, to, to these things and then my interpretation of these things. See, it doesn't matter how much a man knows. It doesn't matter what a man thinks. It matters what God thinks. And that's what what the man of God lost sight of for a moment. He somehow got duped into thinking that that old prophet, that God was going to use that old prophet to override what God had told him himself. Job chapter 23, verse 12, This is one of the oldest records that we have in the Bible, though Job is certainly not the first book in our Bible, that would be Genesis. Uh, Job is perhaps the oldest written book in our Bible. Job chapter 23 verse 12, Job speaks to the elements of his virtue, why he has a measure of confidence that he has not sinned against the Lord. He says in verse 11 My foot hath held his steps his way have I kept and not declined neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips I have esteemed the word of his mouth more than my necessary food I have esteemed the word of his mouth more than my necessary food This is a reflection of a principle that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 in the law Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 Bible says as God reflects to the as Moses tells the nation, reflecting on on God's Word, and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that He might make thee to know that man does not live by bread, al- bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Jesus quotes this verse in matthew four four and luke four four when he is being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, and Satan is asking him to go outside of God's provision by making bread for himself out of the stones that are there and Jesus says man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall he live the word of God is that precious the word of God is that important and not only that but as we look at this idea that the Lord fed them with manna that they would understand that that man does not live by bread alone but by the word of the Lord so they were they 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 had to eat this food to survive but the point the lesson of manna was that God is providing you this food so you live by the word of God you take only what is necessary for the day at the end of the night you 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 don't save it until the next day or else it's going to stink you gather double on, on the day before the Sabbath, because on the Sabbath you will not be gathering. They had to live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of the Lord if they were going to be sustained. What happened on that day in First Kings chapter 13 is a man came with some other food. And he said, you don't need to just live off of the, the, the thing which the Lord said is his word. I have his word. I have something different that is also God's word and it's not what you know and it's not what God has laid before you but it's what God has told me to lay before you and here it is and the man of God fell for it and the call is that we don't. You know God's word isn't always religiously expedient. It's not always convenient. It's not always easy but are you willing to trust it? Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. No man, no teacher, no measure of honor among men, no measure of reason, no no teaching is worth drifting from the Word of God. No circumstance, no element of misguided compassion, no uh, uh, thoughtful rationale is worth diverting from the Word of God. If God's Word says it, it's our privilege to trust it and obey it. It's not always easy. People are going to come and they're going to have a lot of good rationales as to why God didn't really say what He said, or as to why God's word isn't really sufficient and you've got to add to it your experiences and you've got to add to it your thoughts and you've got to add to it man's culture how, why we've got to reinterpret the word of God or, or, or why the word of God is lost and it needs to be found or, or why there are so many errors or all of these things that they might have but nothing is worth leaving the word of God and when we do there are consequences say well pastor of course we know this that's not going to happen to me A young child, you're sitting there and you don't understand yet the temptations to drift from the Word of God that will come upon you as you get into your your, your adolescent years and then into early adulthood. The, the, The call of the world to chase the dreams of this world. And you may not fully understand that yet. You may not fully understand that allure and that call. You say, that'll never happen to me. Well, it happened to this man of God. It happened to this man of God who prophesied against the altar and the altar rent. This man of God who prayed and the hand of Jeroboam was restored. It happened to this man of God. Why couldn't it happen to you? It didn't just happen to this man of God. It happened in the churches. It happened in the early church as well. As a matter of fact, Paul had to write an entire epistle to correct the errors of a church who had fallen into the word of man in the name of the word of God. To the, to the false Word of God presenting itself as the Word of God, but was really the doctrines of men. Judaistic doctrines. Book of Galatians, one of my favorite books from the Bible. Paul writes this beginning in verse six of chapter one. "I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Anathema. Banned. Completely rejected. That's the idea. The allures of another gospel, the allures of other doctrine are strong. They are out there and they are more pervasive than ever in this digital age. You can hear them on the radio, you can get them on the internet, you can get them on television, you can get them through podcasts. There, there are any number of ways that you can, can be led into a manner of thinking that is not consistent with the word of God, though this old prophet claims it is that you're gonna read the Bible and the Bible is gonna say something and it seems pretty plain and then an old prophet's gonna come up to you and say no, no 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 I've heard the word of the Lord and it contradicts what you've just read and it contradicts what what the Bible is saying and it's actually telling you the opposite now follow me there's consequences and so the call this evening is very simple And it's a call simply to stay focused. It's a call to stay focused upon the Word of God. It's a call to not let the man of God divert you from the Word of God. Don't trust the man of God. Trust the Word of God. My value is only as good as the degree to which I take God's Word and I make it plain. My value is only the degree to which I help you understand what God has truly said. It's my privilege to distinguish between what is my interpretation and what is very clear and plain in the Word of God. It's my privilege to lead you into that simple childlike faith whereby if God says it, I'm going to believe it, but then simultaneously we're going to understand the nuances of of how it is the Bible is written so that we can understand it properly. God has not hidden it from us. The Word is very nigh unto us. It's our privilege to know it. It's my privilege to to lead you into it but it's not my privilege to lead you into my way of thinking. Don't trust me. Trust the Word of God. If what I'm saying isn't in line with what the Word of God is saying, well, give me the benefit of the doubt and ask me and we'll try to figure it out. But if I'm really saying something other than what the Bible's saying, then you trust the Word of God. Because this isn't about me. This isn't about any man of God. It's not, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the preacher. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We have that. It's been given to us. It's been once delivered unto the saints. And though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than you, than that which is given unto you, let that man, let that angel from heaven be accursed. May it be so. May we stand upon the word of God. May we trust the word of God. May we love the word of God. May we maintain a loyalty to the word of God in our church. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray for God's people, and I ask that you would help us to be loyal to you and to your word filter everything through your word to judge everything by your word we thank you that you have given it to us we thank you that we can understand it through your spirit and I thank you for calling me to be one of those who minister it unto God's people may I be a good steward of my calling may God's people be a good steward of their responsibility knowing that with the privilege of you giving us your word comes the responsibility of obeying it may God's people do so